Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join us today. Of course, uh, we are excited to be landscaping in the yard, in the garden, all of those things. And, you know, that's one of the things that um, we may have to settle again. I think I've mentioned it before, but the question is, are we supposed to call our outdoor spaces a yard? Or are we supposed to call them a garden? I don't know. You can call it whatever, I suppose. But if we look at the definition of yard, it's the place <laughs> It's the place where prisoners recreate the yard. So maybe it's time. I hope that you don't feel like a prisoner in your garden, but maybe it's time we call our outdoor spaces a garden and dispose of that old word we've used probably since our, our grandmothers taught it to us. Go outside in the yard and play. <laughs> Just like prisoners. No. But we are creating beautiful spaces and gardens. And I hope that, you know, this is the season of travel. Uh, people are going about to maybe beaches, far off places, day trips, whatever. And of course, it, there's plenty of inspiration to find if you're in another city, if you're in another, an, another area, location. Uh, so, if you see these new plants in other places or you see these ideas and, and you're making mental notes or, or writing down some great spaces that you've seen, you know, you can employ some of those tactics or characteristics in your own space, in your own garden. And then, even when you're not traveling, you can be in a unique place, a place that maybe is even closer to you than places you've traveled because you've created a garden for yourself. And of course, that's the whole idea, the entire idea of gardening. Why we do what we do is to create a sense of place, like we are somewhere. When we are outside of our houses, outside of our homes, or outside of our businesses, um, churches, wherever, we can create a sense of place that we are somewhere. We're somewhere unique and somewhere special. And on today's show, uh, it's going to feel a little different um, because we're going to be talking about some unique people in horticulture. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about Liberty Hyde Bailey, uh, but today I thought that we would um, talk about where plants get some of their names. How do some of these strange names pop up, and who are they named after, or how did they, uh, what is the history of some of these well-known plants? We'll talk about a few trees, we'll talk about some shrubs, and um, some individual uh, perennials and whatnot, plants that return year after year. And so I think that it's important to consider the history of some of these plants. Some of these you very well may have in your landscape. Some of these plants we've talked about on the program before, maybe more about how to use them in the garden and how to uh, achieve a you know, successful uh, planting of these individual plants and keeping them going and how to use them with other plants. But we rarely talk about 
where the plants came from, where were they found, or, or were they uh, bred, were they hybridized in a, some breeding program. Uh, you'll find, uh, as we go through these stories about some of these plants, that a lot of times the plants are just volunteers that pop up, that stand out from the rest of the crowd, if you will. And a lot of these, of course, come from plant nurseries, uh, but some of them come from folks' very own backyards, <laughs> their back gardens. And I think that if we uh, learn a little bit more about some of these well-known and um, uh, interesting plants, if we learn a little bit more about who they are, or what they are maybe, <laughs> where they came from, and of course, uh, their background. I think that we can learn to appreciate them even more. Um, today's inspiration comes from a book written by a former professor of mine, um, Dr. Alan Armitage and Linda Copeland, uh, called Legends in the Garden, Who in the World is Nellie Stevens? Of course, that's referencing a holly that was named after an individual. Her name is Nellie Stevens. We call the the Holly, Nellie R. Stevens. Uh, we won't talk about that particular plant today, but if you're interested in learning more about some of the histories of um, some of the plants you may have in your garden, uh, be sure to check out Legends in the Garden. Um, speaking of being in summer and traveling, if you're out of town, don't feel like you are losing information from what's happening in your hometown. Because thanks to the invention we call the internet, you can listen to, uh, of course, New Southern Garden, but all of the great programming here on WRWH 93.9 FM. You, you, you don't have to be in, in radio signal. Uh, all you have to do is download the TuneIn app and uh, search for WRWH. Click the little heart button. Uh, right beside that, that will put it in your favorites. It will say that you love WRWH, which of course you do. And while you're traveling, as long as you have internet connection or uh, cellular service uh, on your smart devices, you can listen to all the news that's going on here in your hometown and still be away, maybe even far away. You could listen to WRWH across the other side of the globe. So if you're traveling this summer and... Uh, even if you're not, you can always listen to WRWH on the TuneIn app. It's a uh, radio app, if you will. And, uh, of course, you can also find uh, this show as a podcast on your favorite podcasting uh, services. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the histories of these plants. Uh, the first one takes us to a little town in Illinois called Anna. And we're talking about a plant called Annabelle. Hydrangea. Now, the Annabelle hydrangea is one of the most well-known and beloved shrubs in American gardening. The name suggests uh, that there is an Anna in this plant's history, but she is actually a town instead of a person. The town, as I've already said, is Anna, Illinois. And we have a gentleman named Joseph C. McDaniel to thank for the story of the discovery of the Annabelle arborescence hydrangea. Now, of course, Annabelle or hydrangea arborescence, rather, is commonly called the smooth hydrangea. And today, we can find relatives in this group of plants growing along the Chattahoochee River and other parts uh, because it is a native to the southeast uh, and up and down the coast. So, of course, we love to use it. Um, of course, um, the Annabelle in particular has these huge blossoms. In its natural or wild form, the smooth hydrangea has these kind of small fluffy 
blossoms, which are still attractive. Um, but the Annabelle, I have seen Annabelle just this year, of course. We have it at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week. We were pruning back old flowers, and I noticed one flower that was nearly 12 inches across. The entire white, green, kind of limey green mop head flower was nearly a foot in diameter. But according to Michael Durr, who, of course, um, uh, was a professor at the University of Georgia, retired now, but he was a colleague of McDaniel on the horticulture faculty of the University of Illinois. Um, he says that McDaniel portrayed the image of a dapper, if somewhat eccentric, Englishman, <laughs> always wearing a fine coat and a bow tie. Often, this well-dressed figure could be seen driving down the streets of Urbana, Illinois, shovel and plants overhanging the rear of his ancient vehicle. He was a true gentleman and a plantsman of the highest order, and Durr credits him as being one of the finest American plant introducers of the 20th century. Now, McDaniel describes a history of this introduction, he calls Annabelle, in a report to the International Plant Propagators Society in 1962. When he first found the plant in Urbana in 1960, he traced its origin back to Anna, Illinois, where he spoke with a gentleman by the name of Hubbard Kirkpatrick. Now, Kirkpatrick told McDaniel that his mother, Harriet, first saw the original plant in 1910. The spectacular flowers caught her attention while she was horseback riding on a wooded trail in the hills of Union County. And when she returned to Anna, she asked her sister, Amy, if she had ever seen a hydrangea with a snowball blossom. The two women realized the plant was special and collected it for their garden on Chestnut Street. So 50 years later, McDaniel reported he found clumps of the original plant still growing in the Chestnut Street garden. But during those 50 years, the plant had been passed along by gardeners, but had never been put into commercial production. The Kirkpatricks had talked about their plant with the Burpee Seed Company in Philadelphia, but found Burpee was more interested in a hydrangea called Snow Hill. Well, McDaniel, uh, he thought that the hydrangea from Anna had the largest and most symmetrical flower heads of all the mutants from the wild, and he believed it should be made more widely available. In 1960, he registered, re registered it as Annabelle and convinced nurseries to grow it and sell the plant. He stated it could be propagated as easily as any hydrangea from dormant wood or green wood with leafy cuttings. Annabelle first appeared in the catalog of Albert B. Ferguson's Lynn County Nurseries in Centerpoint, Iowa in 1962. The hydrangea's namesake town is located in southern Illinois. It was founded by Winstead Davy in 1850 and named for his wife, Anna, Anna Davy. An agricultural community, Anna, Illinois, has a population of around 5,000. Before it became known for being the location of the original Annabelle, its name was associated with a significant late 19th century stonewell, stoneware pottery, the Anna Pottery Company, recognized for eccentric and humorous novelty wares. The owner of the pottery was Cornwall Kirkpatrick, the father of Harriet and Amy, and grandfather of Hubbard, who shared the history of Annabelle with McDaniel. Now, hydrangea arborescence, or smooth hydrangea, is native to a large area of the United States, from New York south to Florida and Louisiana, and west to Iowa, including southern Illinois. The woodlands that are now part of the Shawnee 
National Forest near Anna were probably the site of the original plant. The inflorescences of the species are mostly flattish and dull white, like I mentioned earlier, really comprised of non-showy fertile flowers with a few sterile large uh, petals. Or bracts. It is easy to see why Annabelle, with its large round flower heads, caught the attention of the bells of Anna. Gardeners should not only thank the sisters for their discovery, but also sing praises to the plantsman, J.C. McDaniel, for making this wonderful shrub available. So when we look at something like the Annabelle hydrangea, at first thought is, oh, it must be named after somebody who is named Anna. Or Annabelle. But in reality, uh, Mr. McDaniel put a name on this particular strain of this smooth hydrangea after all the ladies in Anna, Illinois, who were sharing and passing along cuttings, clippings, digging up suckers, and passing them over their garden fences for each other. I hope that uh, with a history like this, that we can appreciate the Annabelle hydrangea a bit more because, of course, it's got a great name. It's got a wonderful blossom. And even though there are plenty newer uh, smooth hydrangeas that have been introduced since this time period, uh, I still think Annabelle is hard to beat. It is hard to beat. I have seen Annabelle in all kinds of gardens as we traveled to Washington, D.C. and went into the country and saw Thomas Jefferson's gardens. There was Annabelle hydrangea. Um, even at George Washington's uh, house, Mount Vernon, there was hi uh, Annabelle hydrangea there. So this plant has really withstood the test of time, to use an old cliche. We're still growing it. You can still easily find it in your local plant nurseries. But, of course, it comes with some problems, just one major problem. The Annabelle hydrangea, as with all other hydrangeas, make great deer candy, deer food. So, you might need to put an Annabelle hydrangea in your landscape, but put it somewhere where it's a little sheltered or protected from deer. I have to battle them all the time. We have a number of hydrangeas, including Annabelle, and of course, using sprays and odors and maybe even some systemic deer repellent uh, like the Repel-X can be helpful. But even if you have to battle with the deer, I still think that Annabelle hydrangea is one of the most glorious shrubs. Knowing that it's native to the southeast, it loves our climate, it's used to it, uh, it's got those huge blossoms like snowballs in the middle of summer but still but still we have to consider the feast that wildlife may make of it when we get back more horticultural history and how do these plants get their names hang on tight Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well.
So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about some horticultural histories. We're talking about how do certain plants get, how did they get their names? Of course, we look through catalogs, we look through the plant nurseries and your local garden centers, and we see all kinds of names. Some of the names nowadays that they're naming new plants after, uh, they don't make a lot of sense to me. We get names like Buzz and Zip and... (laughs) All these weird things. It sounds more like maybe some kind of um, rap song than horticultural plant names of old. Because, of course, there are plants like the one we just talked about before the break, the Annabelle hydrangea, which sounds at first like it's named after somebody whose name is Annabelle. But, of course, we learned that uh, it's not named after a person, but it's named after a place. Anna, Illinois, and of course it was named Annabelle for all of the bells of Anna who were passing that beautiful hydrangea over the garden fences and all around town. But there is another one here, that uh, another hydrangea that you may have heard of. It's called the Dooley hydrangea. It's hydrangea macrophylla Dooley, which of course is the big leaf hydrangea. Now this particular hydrangea could be uh, blue or pink, depending on the pH of the soil. We've talked about that uh, from time to time. But the Dooley hydrangea uh, has a great history. As a matter of fact, the history goes that for those who have heard of Vince Dooley, uh, they do not usually associate his name with anything other than athletics, specifically football. His athletic credentials are impressive. He uh, was an all-star football and basketball player at Auburn University. His success in athletics continued when he became the extremely successful football coach at the University of Georgia from 64 to 1988. And, of course, he was the athletics director at the university as well. Uh, But his awards and credits are too numerous to list, but a few highlights include guiding his teams to 20 Uh, bowl games, being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, and receiving the prestigious Amos Alonzo Stagg Award for lifetime contributions to the sport of football. However, to appreciate the man, one needs to peel away the cloak of athletics and view his other accomplishments. Of course, he has contributions um, to things like the Heart Fund, Multiple Sclerosis, Juvenile Diabetes, Boy Scouts, Salvation Army, but he is also thrives he had also thrived on learning and he of course would do all kinds of things at the university learning he would go to classes and learn all kinds of things but of course gardening not many people know but gardening was one of his favorite um, extracurricular activities if you will as a matter of fact at the Dooley family home the garden was always neat and well kept but in the 90s his interest in gardening awoke when he took some horticulture classes from uh, professors Michael Durr and Alan Armitage at the university the garden was quickly transformed into a repository for many of um, Durr's favorite plants, actually. And today, that property is a mini arboretum with an outstanding collection of trees, shrubs, and beautiful water features. People admired it from the street, and if you were fortunate enough, you would maybe be able to uh, visit it. <laughs> but the gardens kept getting bigger, and each year, uh, Dooley would creep a little further into his neighbor's property. Now, the Dooley Garden has been featured in many publications around the Southeast and nationally on programs like the Victory Garden and Rebecca's Garden and Home and Garden Television. 
But in 1999, Dooley and Michael Durr led a concerted um, effort to recognize the outstanding tree plantings on the campus of the University of Georgia. And with the help of faculty and campus planners, the campus was designated an arboretum itself. Hundreds of trees have been labeled and booklets for self-guided tours were created. Now, the Dooley-Durr friendship must also be credited for the introduction of this fine blue mophead hydrangea called Dooley. You see, in 1968, Barbara acquired the original bush from an Athens nursery grown by or owned by George Upchurch when it was going out of business. So she took it home and stuck it in a bed by the house. For more than 25 years, it simply uh, appeared to be one more blue hydrangea dotting the late spring landscapes in the Athens area. But in 1996, when a late freeze killed the flower buds of most hydrangeas in the area, much like we had this problem this year, uh, the horticulturalist in Dooley noted that this particular hydrangea seemed unaffected. When another late freeze occurred in 1998 with similar devastating results to other hydrangeas, Durr also took serious notice of this seemingly indestructible plant. Scientific tests have confirmed the plant's cold hardiness, which can be attributed to the large number of lateral flower buds that it produces, making possible an abundance of flowers even if the terminal buds are frozen over winter. Not only is its cold hardiness noteworthy, but the shrub's color, vigor, and ease of propagation make it a favorite of nursery people and gardeners alike. Durr named the plant Hydrangea macrophylla Dooley, and it first appeared in the Spring Meadow Nursery Catalog in 1998. Now, this obviously is an interesting story because it's very close to home here. Uh, the Dooley hydrangea has been around since the late 90s, as we found, and it has been grown ever since. You still can find Dooley hydrangea in your local garden centers, plant nurseries, and it does have a great resistance to late freezes and late colds, frosts, because, of course, just like we experienced this year, when we got down into single-degree temperatures and then we had another late freeze in March, a lot of hydrangeas suffered. A lot of hydrangeas suffered. And it's really incredible that we have folks who are avidly looking for things that are different. You know, in this case, the hydrangea is just your regular blue and pink kind of hydrangea. Nothing too spectacular or odd or more unusual about the blooms or the way that the plant looks. But rather... Uh, Dooley noticed that this particular plant had another group of characteristics that makes it maybe even more beneficial. And in the case of hydrangea, when we have these late frosts, it is more beneficial for us uh, in this part of the world to have a hydrangea that can push right through. Now, of course, since the Dooley was introduced, there have been newer plants, if you will, come along, newer hydrangeas that are touting that same characteristic. As a matter of fact, I was working with some folks who are in town now or in northeast Georgia, but they're from Wisconsin. And in Wisconsin, they try to grow this particular hydrangea, the hydrangea known as big leaf hydrangea, hydrangea macrophylla. And every year, because of course they get very bad winters compared to us, every year that plant dies to the ground and it regrows from the rootstock, not killing the root. But because all of the stems die to the ground, 
they have no way of producing a plant in the spring that can also bloom. Since hydrangea, this particular one, blooms on last year's wood, any time the winter destroys the stems and the buds, we're left with a plant that can still be alive and growing, but we're left with a plant that is not really going to be blooming. But Dooley hydrangea was one of the first to be found, and yes, it is named after a person, Vince Dooley, of course, uh, from the University of Georgia's athletic program and football coach, and it comes with an interesting story. As a matter of fact, when I was at the University of Georgia, um, uh, let's see, Dooley was not really around, but his name was even talked about in the halls and the classrooms of the horticulture department. Because as much as he loved sports, we found out that he also loved gardening. And thank goodness to him and his wife, Barbara, thank goodness to them noticing that that particular hydrangea can withstand more cold than any of the others. And that can help us in our gardens have a great flower show. So I know we're coming up on a break, but last week we talked about award-winning plants, and there was one in particular called David Flocks, the David Flocks, which is a flocks that is native. Um, but I mentioned that it's a prized flocks because it has resistance to powdery mildew, which is a big problem for floxes, floxi. <laughs> so when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about the history of the David Flocks. Sounds like it's named after a person, doesn't it? Well, if you think so, you are right. So we're going to learn more about the David Flocks and also the David behind the David Flocks when we get back. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So, gang, if you're just joining us for New Southern Garden, uh, we'll play a little bit of catch-up here. Today, we're talking about some of the histories of the people, uh, the plants people, the nursery people, and even athletic directors. Like in our last plant, uh, we're talking about the people behind, the histories behind certain plants you know. Maybe you have them in your garden. Maybe you don't know them. As a matter of fact, uh, today we're... we're uh, using a book called Legends in the Garden by uh, Dr. Alan Armitage as a reference point. And be sure to check that out if you're interested in some of the histories behind some of the well-known plants and plants that are not too well-known. Some of the plants in this book, is just tons of them, uh, I've never really seen in person, never even heard of. But of course, every plant has some kind of history. In today's world, new plants are being introduced and a lot of these plants are being introduced intentionally there are breeding programs uh, whether they come out of universities or private breeding programs and they're doing so in in order to release new plants to sell for market um, of course for business purposes but a lot of the plants of old were not necessarily intentionally bred 
they were just volunteers. They happened to pop up and they looked different. There was a bigger flower, a different, more colorful blossom. Or in the case of the Dooley hydrangea, named after Vince Dooley, the athletic director that I was talking about. Um, in that case, it had a great cold hardiness. And so there are many characteristics and traits that these plants um, have to display in order to be considered different and thus be named after somebody or some place. And our next plant falls in line with that. The next plant we're going to talk about is Phlox paniculata, or the garden phlox, called David. Now, arriving in Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania, on a sunny mid-July day in 1978, an observant horticulturalist believed he was destined to select a certain parking space in front of a berm of wildflowers at the Brandywine River Museum. Now, as he got out of his car, the driver noticed a large, white-flowered plant. And on closer inspection, he discovered the plant was a pristine specimen of the native garden flocks, entirely without the mildew disfiguring others around it. Excited about his discovery, he ran into the office and persuaded uh, F.M. Mooberry, coordinator of horticulture at the Brandywine Conservancy, to accompany him to the parking lot for another look. The driver, the driver happened to be Richard Simon of Bluemont Nurseries, Moncton, Maryland, no stranger to new plant discoveries. Mooberry was so pleased by Simon's discovery that she encouraged him to ensure the plant's survival. Without hesitation, he whipped out his shears and snipped five little shoots of suitable cutting material, which he be carefully stowed into a plastic bag. Now, Simon took them to his propagation house where he rooted all five cuttings. Believing that the only way to keep a good plant is to give it away, Simon gave four of the five rooted cuttings to friends, one of whom was Dale Hendricks of North Creek Nursery in Landenburg, Pennsylvania. And after observing the plant's performance, Hendricks wanted to make it available to gardeners everywhere. So for its introduction, the flock's discovery needed a name. Well, Simon went back to Mooberry and asked, what, uh, asked her what to call it. Without hesitation, she declared it should be named for her husband, David, stating that this was a good name for a big, bold plant. By giving his name to the fine flocks, she was saying thank you for his continued support of her work. Hendricks introduced uh, flocks paniculata David in 1991. Now, although FM's career has always dealt with plants, David is not a gardener. In 1954, his work with the DuPont Corporation brought him to Delaware from Chicago, where he and FM continued to make their home. Today, they are both retired and enjoying together their own constantly evolving garden with hands-on by FM and the nurturing support of David. Phlox paniculata David is a vigorous form of the native phlox. Now, FM believes it possesses its strong characteristics because it was a natural selection from a native stand. Although it does not come true from seed, it is easily propagated from cuttings and is widely available in retail nurseries even today. With its relative mildew resistance and large pyramidal-shaped panicles of showy white tubular flowers, this perennial provides the gardener a fine selection of this native garden plant. And of course, it has certainly impressed leaders of the perennial plant industry. And you might remember from last week's program that David was selected 
uh, David Phlox was selected as the uh, 2002 Perennial Plant of the Year by the Perennial Plant Association, which, of course, is the highest acclaim for any perennial plant. It's like the Hall of Fame, and we talked all about that last week if you want to check out last week's show at NewSouthernGarden.com. But here we have a story of a plant named after a person, and the person himself, David Mooberry, wasn't necessarily a plant person, uh, but his wife was, and she decided to name it after him. I think it's a lovely story. It shows a bit of love, compassion, you know, beautiful marriage. And of course, now we have a garden phlox that is quite disease resistant. And as we talked about last week, because this particular plant was found to be disease resistant, they have been using it as a mother or father, I guess, since it's named David, but uh, been using it as a mother plant to breed newer colors, different colors, not just white, but we're getting pinks and those hot pinks and purples, reds, and they're all showing a bit of that disease resistance that usually comes uh, from this plant we know as David Phlox or David Garden Phlox. I think you ought to enjoy some phloxes in your landscape. It is, they are great plants, um, other than the fact that the powdery, powdery mildew is a problem. But of course, you don't necessarily have to uh, uh, plant the ones that are not disease resistant because now there are plenty of varieties that are showing better disease resistance, all thanks to the David phlox. Now, let's talk about Ray Bracken, another plant. Um, there's an individual name, or was an individual named Ray Bracken. His favorite quote was, if I do nothing else in my lifetime but leave the world a good tree, I've done something. And like a man possessed, he worked to make it come true. He fulfilled that quote when he introduced a southern magnolia that is called Bracken's Brown Beauty, a tree that has established itself as one of the most widely recognized magnolias in the market. And that is so true. We see the uh, Bracken's Brown Beauty magnolia all over the place. They are still gorgeous plants. But although distinctions between cultivars of southern magnolia are often simple, Bracken's Brown Beauty is acclaimed for several reasons. Bracken's selection dependably grows to a dense pyramidal tree with many forked lateral branches. From May until September, the tree is adorned with creamy, white, fragrant flowers at the tips of the branches. That's a long time for southern mag magnolia to be blooming. Now, the shiny dark green leaves with curled under edges also enhance its beauty, but it is the rusty brown felt-like coating on the underside of the leaves that really gives the plant its name. Both the leaves and flowers are smaller than typical southern magnolias, making it a finer textured and more uniform landscape plant than other magnolias. Its upright habit and excellent growth uh, character have also allowed it to be successfully used as a street tree. Because its hardiness is down to negative 22 degrees. It's one of the few southern magnolias used in uh, colder climates. It's easy to transplant. It's got good fungal resistance, and it's quite shade tolerant. Those are some other characteristics that Bracken's Brown Beauty gives to our, us gardeners. But here's the story. Here's how this particular plant this Bracken's Brown Beauty Magnolia was found. Ray Bracken first noticed the tree growing in his nursery just blocks, uh, or rather in his nursery blocks, in 1965. It's been a minute now. But although it was only two feet tall, this three-year-old seedling was the only one in bloom among thousands of others. So he tagged the young plant and watched it develop. 
He was convinced that this tree was superior, so he wanted to ensure that its fine qualities were maintained. And from 1965 down to 1982, Michael Durr, his name pops up in all these histories. <laughs> it's quite funny. But Michael Durr of the University of Georgia visited Bracken's nursery and was shown the magnolia. Bracken happily remembers the impressed Durr, exclaiming, Bracken's brown beauty is the most beautiful southern magnolia I have ever observed. Now, Durr suggested that uh, Bracken patent the plant, and he helped him with the documentation in order to prove that the plant was distinct and different from other magnolias. But Bracken's Brown Beauty was awarded a plant patent number 5520 in 1984 to last for 20 years. Now, of course, that plant patent has expired, um, and Bracken's Brown Beauty really has no limitations as far as who owns the legal rights to that particular plant. And so we see a ton of Bracken's Brown Beauty available in the landscape nursery trade today. Now, this is an interesting plant. I do love southern magnolias. I hope you do too, of course. Many of them are quite large, sometimes getting from 60 to 100 feet tall. But Bracken's Brown does make a nice screen with the shiny leaves on top and those felt-like brown um, foliage on the bottom of the leaf. It really does look very attractive. And it does have sort of a wavy, curled edge, which is quite unique. Well, like I said, we see these all the time. They are great bloomers, even in containers. We've got some blossoms on magnolias right now at the nursery. And, of course, magnolia needs some space. Uh, this is not necessarily a dwarf magnolia, but even though, remember, this is a plant that uh, you plant it today, and really it's our grandchildren that will enjoy the majestic size and nature of Southern Magnolia. And I think we should end our discussion on Bracken's Brown Beauty with Ray Bracken's quote. Remember what he said, if I do nothing else in my lifetime but leave the world a good tree, and I've done something done something and surely enough this tree continues on this tree continues on and it has grown all over the southeast and other parts other parts so let's talk that's a big big plant southern magnolia is a big plant but we need to talk a little bit about a small plant a small plant and there's a man named john creech now john creech uh was a big name, big name in horticulture, particularly around the turn of this century. He was born in Rhode Island, uh, but his work, his accomplishments have been widely recognized, and there are plants named after him. <laughs> there are plenty. There's a plant called John Creech Abelia. Of course, Abelia is a, a beautiful shrub. Uh, they bloom in the summer, great pollinator magnet. They are considered semi-evergreen because most abelias will maintain some of their leaves, maybe most of their leaves over winter, but they do tend to drop a number of leaves in the fall. So it's not a complete loss in the wintertime, but uh, they usually fall from the interior of the plant, and that gives them this kind of um, scraggly look over winter. But then when spring comes, all you have to do, all you have to do is chop the plant back, chop the plant back, Give it some fertilizer, and it will flush out and create a density because you pruned it in the late winter, early spring, and fertilized it. Well, it will resurge with a flush of growth. 
But really, it's not the John Creech abelia that I want to talk about. Even though that plant is much smaller than the southern magnolia, I want to talk about a plant that's even smaller than that. And that is a little sedum, a ground cover. Sometimes in the uh, northeast Georgia area, we call them toe ticklers. Uh, The toe ticklers, there is a sedum. Of course, they like it hot. They like it dry. And it, too, is called John Creech. And it's been around a while, and I think it's going to be around for a long time. So I want to get back more about plant histories and how they got their names. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking all about some histories about histories of plants, who some of these plants are named after or what they're named after. Uh, The first plant today we talked about was named after a place, Anna, Illinois. That was the Annabelle hydrangea. Of course, we've talked about the Dooley hydrangea, named after Vince Dooley from the University of Georgia. Uh, And now I want to talk about a very small creeping plant. Uh, this is a sedum, a sedum, which are those kind of succulent plants. Uh, they're, eh, cactuses are succulent, but um, these plants aren't necessarily considered cactuses, but they're a creeping ground cover. Now, this one in particular is called John Creech, which is still used in gardens. You find it in plant nurseries. You find it everywhere still, and it's really withstood the test of time, but I was telling you that um, this is named after a gentleman named John Creech, who was from Rhode Island. He was born in uh, 1920. Now, of course, uh, he was a plantsman and a horticulturalist where he studied horticulture at the University of Rhode Island uh, in 1941, but he served into World War II um, and was actually sent to flight in North Africa, where he was captured from June of 43 until October of 44, and he was a prisoner of war. But uh, during the months of his imprisonment, Creech made an extraordinary contribution to the, uh, to, the, to the history of the war, if you will. The Germans turned over a garden plot and greenhouse to the prisoners, and with his newly earned degree and previous training in a family greenhouse in Rhode Island, Creech became manager of the greenhouse at the camp. Now, the Germans allowed him to obtain vegetable seeds and plants from the Red Cross, and with the crops he grew, he supplemented the meager, unpalatable diet that the prisoners were provided. For his marvelous accomplishment, John Creech was awarded the Bronze Star. He also received the Silver Star for his valor in combat, but he declares, My contribution for the Bronze Star is far more important as a contribution to my fellow officers. Now, 
Of course, he's in the plant world, and we're going to summarize some of his history here. He's in the plant world. He's growing, of course, through the 50s and the 60s. Um, But Creech was associated with agricultural research services between 55 and 78. And during that time, he made nine plant exploration trips to Asia, including Japan, China, Taiwan, Nepal, and even the USSR. His first expeditions were for economic crops, but later trips were for ornamental plant exploration. So for his um, contributions to plant introductions, he was awarded the Meyer Medal in 1969. Now here's where the story and the sedum that he finds pops up. On an expedition to Siberia in the early 1960s, a sedum with outstanding pink flowers caught Creech's eye. Now, it appeared to be an excellent ground cover for sunny locations, and 10 years later was distributed by the National Arboretum. This is a cool little plant that I think that you will love in your landscape. The foliage is small and tight and beautiful, and of course, things creep and crawl. Things creep, this plant creeps and crawls. It can be planted right on the edge of a pathway. Uh, Maybe if you have a rock garden, this is a wonderful plant. Most of the succulents, most of the sedums in particular, are great for a rock garden. But of course, whenever you need something just to skirt taller plants or even crawl in between uh, pavers, then this sedum called John Creech will be wonderful for you. And, of course, you will have a little bit of history about this particular plant. Now, I want to come a little closer to home. We'll get away from Rhode Island. We'll come to um, northeast Georgia at Goodness Grows Nursery. Goodness Grows Nursery. Uh, This was started by uh, two University of Georgia graduates, Mark Richardson and Rick Berry. They both passed away, but they left behind some wonderful plants. Uh, they built this wonderful uh, retail plant nursery where you can travel and look and you could get inspired and there was cute displays and setups and it felt like you were in a garden even though all the plants were in pots and of course you could buy them. <laughs> um, but if you are familiar with the Miss Huff Lantana, Maybe you have some. People are still asking for Miss Huff Lantana. Now, Miss Huff Lantana is one of the Lantanas that tends to be quite perennial. We saw a lot of these particular Lantanas die over the very weird and cold temperatures we had this year, but some of them even persisted through that cold. But Lantana generally dies in our climate. In the wintertime, we treat it as an annual. But the folks at Goodness Grows, uh, Mark and, and Rick, they introduced this Miss Huff Lantana. Now, it is a thornless, shrubby kind of lantana that from early summer until frost is covered with a blended yellow, orange, and pink flower cluster. Most lantanas, like I've already said, are tender to North America, but they noticed that this lantana came, year back, came back year after year in their neighbor's garden. That's right. It wasn't even in their garden. It was in their neighbor's garden. Their neighbor's name was Miss Ruby Huff. She was the wife of a local farmer in Crawford, Georgia, and her lantana grew amidst tomatoes and snowball bushes. But she did not know the origin of the shrub, but she gave Mark and Rick some cuttings. And naturally, 
When Mark and Rick decided to put this plant into the trade, they named it for Miss Ruby Huff. And that is a sweet little story that these plants people, who of course have a nursery, they're growing plants, they were observant enough, I don't know, you know, creeping onto their neighbor's property. It sounds like they had a good relationship, but of course they they look at it year after year thinking, you know, that that lantana keeps returning. And uh, they were sort of proficient enough to talk with her and say, we really think this is something. And of course, Miss Huff is being grown in gardens all over the place, in people's back gardens, front gardens, pollinator gardens, everywhere. And of course, we have those individuals, Rick and Mark from Goodness Grows Nursery, uh, and their neighbor, their sweet little neighbor, Miss Ruby Huff, to think. It is a pretty collection of flowers on those uh, clusters. Uh, Orange and yellow are the primary colors, and then as they sort of fade, you get this soft kind of antique pink, but they do get large. So if you decide, if you already have a Miss Huff, you know how large she gets. But if you decide you'd like to try Miss Huff Lantana in your pollinator garden, in your perennial garden, or even on the edge of your, bo- of your um, vegetable garden, just remember, she wants to be as tall as a person and can get quite wide. But still, it is a plant worth planting. It can be maintained and sheared back if need be. But I still think that uh, we need to be considerate about her space. Because if we put her in too tight of an area, we'll think she's a bad plant. But she's not. She just needs needs room to grow. So again, today on New Southern Garden, we've talked about some horticultural history, which I hope to do more of from time to time, to inspire us, to enlighten us, to educate us on uh, the histories of these plants that we're growing. In many cases, the plants that you're growing are somewhat connected to people throughout history. Today we found out about certain people who discovered plants, the people who have propagated them and continued their lineage, and we should thank them that they have given us so many useful plants. So many useful plants. So for WRWH and New Southern Garden, my name is Nathan Wilson. I hope that you stay well, grow well, and learn your horticultural history this weekend. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.